You're listening to the Nerd to Know Media Network. Join us at nerdtoknowmedia.com. And welcome to this week's edition of the Game Corner. My name is Keanu Calicorn, as always, and we have a very special guest this week from Australia. This is Michael Hilliard, who is a journalist and podcaster who hosts the very popular Red Line podcast. How are you doing, Michael? I'm good. It's great to be here. Excellent. Thank you so much for making the time for this. Are you having a good day? It's been good. Uh, we're just buried in a bunch of stories and, and watching the world, you know, burn around. So uh, it's great to be, you know, showing you with the one time of my week where I get to actually relax and uh, play a bit of games to get away from this crazy planet. Well, I, I, I'm sorry to be a contrarian, but before we get into the fun, relaxing game stuff, I'd love if you could chat a bit more about your podcast work. So tell us about the, the Redline podcast. What is it that you do? So the red line, what we do is we do a big geopolitical deep dive every fortnight. So we get big experts in from, you know, the White House, the CIA, MI6, Downing Street, uh, you know, Harvard, Oxford, Cambridge, who come in and give uh, their expert opinions on one big subject shaping the news. So whether it's, you know, the Russian hypersonic missile program or, you know, the Libyan civil war, they come in and give their opinions on what's happening, how we got here and where the war's heading. So, uh, yeah, really interesting stuff uh, to be focusing on, on, you know, big stories that we kind of miss in the news. You know, a lot of these big stories, you have 60 seconds on CNN to pitch it, but, mm. you know, we take it a full, you know, hour, hour and a half and really dole out how, you know, a small conflict like, let's say, you know, uh, Yemen is actually absolutely instrumental to the entire region. Mm. Well, I mean, that's a very good point because like we won't get too kind of into the weeds on this, but mm. we are, especially amidst the lockdown, we are kind of living in an age where, it's very hard not just to find information, but find things to focus on and really kind of dive into because everything moves so fast. Like, Oh yeah. There's just so many stories every day. I mean, my phone, I wake up, you know, cause I have friends who are journalists all around the world. And we all you know, chat about, you know, I have friends who focus on certain areas and I'll wake up with four messages, one crisis in this country, crisis in that country. And it, it's really hard to focus even for someone who has, you know, you know, this is what I do you know, all the time. I don't know how the average person can keep any sort of idea on uh, all the crazy things going on. That's exactly it. And like you said off the air that you started uh, this podcast six or seven months ago. What was kind of the spark that made you want to do it? So it was very weird. I've been ghostwriting in a bit uh, for quite a while now, but I've been traveling and reporting from these you know places like you know Uzbekistan and Iran and Russia and all these places. And I had this weird black book of contacts that, you know, guys from the Taliban and guys from Russian intelligence and guys from British intelligence and, you know, this weird network of people. Uh, and a friend of mine uh, who runs a couple of radio stations over here was like, look, let's do a show because, you know, it'd be pretty crazy to get, you know, the Taliban's opinion on something. And I'm like, it sounds pretty, it sounds like a weird thing to do. And uh, kicked it off thinking it would be kind of a side project, you know, uh, you know, who cares? It's just going to say I do in my spare time. And, end up gobbling up most of my time uh, and now yeah it consumes my every waking moment <laughs> yes well i don't know any i don't do anything on the kind of global level of that and i still understand how like kind of projects like this can just sort of because the second you start doing this everything in your life sort of starts circumventing into the podcasting do you find like 
All the time, you end up just you know, uh, it just every like you wake up in the middle of the night and go, oh, that you know, that's why that country's doing that. Okay, and then you like writing it down, and my poor girlfriend <laughs> will be woken up by me being like, oh no, no we got to under- you got to understand, Serbia will do this if that happens, and she go. Yes, honey, that's, that's lovely. You're winning, son, and put me back to bed. Um, so. <laughs> well, I can't speak for journalism, but I can speak for, I have done quite a lot of kind of playwriting in the past, and I do know that all mm. the best ideas arrive at roughly between three and four in the morning. Yep. My entire office is, uh, it looks like, you know, the, one of these crazy people's rooms where there's just maps and string everywhere. It's like, it's all connected. This general knows this person, and he's had a photo with this person. My whole life has never just become map string and small If you of haven't seen it, I must send you the It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia thing of Charlie's like kind of meme of all the things on the wall with a cigarette shaking in his hand and all that kind of stuff. Like That is me. I am the biggest fan of Always Sunny to begin with. And yeah, I, I Pepe Silva is, I'd love to slot any Pepe Silva references like ever could into anything uh, charlie's energy there is is just me at every kind of every thursday afternoon <laughs> well then to kind of pivot out of the sort of panic attack stuff like um <laughs> we've had a lot of different guests from all over the world kind of talking about their experience of the lockdown and kind of how gaming has helped them kind of cope with that how have things been i'm assuming you've been in australia throughout the past two or three months kind of dealing with this have you yeah, I I flew back in, um, you know, it was weird. I was in Hong Kong when it first kicked off, you know, when they were reading the stories of, hey, this this thing is, you know, there's some weird disease coming out of China. It was like, oh, that's weird. And then kind of came home and then I went to Malaysia as it all kicked off again. I came home. Australia's been pretty good for it, you know. We're, it's not really, um, we haven't seen the numbers that a lot of places have. Uh, but it's been very odd because obviously all my friends, are, a lot of my friends are journalists who are living in, you know, Kyrgyzstan and Iran, America and the US. And, you know, gaming's been really good to kind of just, you know, we'll sit there and play Call of Duty or something and just be playing and, you know, comparing our lockdowns to each other. Um, it's been a really kind of leveling experience for everyone. And like, um, you say you've been talking to journalists all over the world, like kind of, has there been a unifying type of experience? Like, or is it like different strokes to different folks depending on where everyone is like? Oh, it's it's huge. I think the biggest um, the biggest wake up call for me. I was on this US panel show doing uh, a COVID piece, and they had this guest on before me, and, the, and they asked him, you know, how's COVID going for you? And he was saying, well, me and my wife, we bought up a bunch of guns, and we take shifts uh, to make sure we sleep with one person awake. And you know, if anyone comes to the door, I'm going to shoot them because uh, that's what I'm going to do because I want to defend myself. Uh, and they went to me. Is that like, Michael? You're, you're in Australia. Has COVID going? I went, well, I bought six bottles of vodka. I'm down to four and that's about it. Um, so it's, it's incredibly different compared to countries. Uh, over here, the, the whole thing was quite mild because we went, we locked down very early. So uh, yeah, it's, it really is different, different strokes for different folks on this one. I know exactly what you mean because like when I'm not doing this, I work in a bookshop and like mm. we, fortunately, Ireland and Dublin in particular, closed up relatively early kind of late february mm. early march but you saw like you just heard reports of people still kind of going about their day-to-day from like places like the uk and that kind of stuff and like yeah we didn't even do a massive stock up here there was a bit of a run on toilet paper but apart from that it was just kind of staying indoors and that was it like i'm glad to see that kind of where you've been based is can kind of more or less the same like yeah it was it was toilet paper just disappeared at the start and then there was a lot of weird things like our prime minister came out and said that puzzles are now an essential service. Uh, It was very weird. 
You know, so actually, be... I will back up your prime minister on that because the first thing you ran out <laughs> of in the bookshop was jigsaws. Yeah, I, I, I don't doubt. I mean, I, see, I went and bought a jigsaw myself and yeah, no, it's, it's, it was weird the things that you really needed. It was like toilet paper and, and you know, odd things that I never thought would be, you know, uh, you know, I traveled to war zones where that's, you know, that is a scarcity, um, but never thought I'd see it in my cozy little place in Australia. All right, well, then let's pivot from there into the game. So uh, what game have you been playing the most since the lockdown started then? I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a terrible basic person, but I, the game we're playing most is, is Call of Duty, uh, Modern Warfare and Warzone. I've been playing quite a lot of that because my friends are all playing it. Um, I'm not a huge first-person shooter guy, uh, but, you know, uh, I've officially been called the bullet sponge. Um, and at this point, I spend most of my time acting as they call bait. Um, you know, hey, Michael, head in there and see if there's any enemies so we can clean them up later. It's, it's a tough job, but someone has to do it. Well, yeah, that's... I think the last time I played Warzone, we got towards the end and my orders from, from the friend of mine who's very good at the game was, hey, can you get in the car and honk the horn as many times as you can and cause the most ruckus and lure these guys out so we can then snipe them off. And that's about as useful as I am at these kind of things. <laughs> okay, so can I just double check because there have been quite a lot of Call of Duty games. When you say Call of Duty Modern Warfare, are we talking like one of the most up-to-date ones or like a PlayStation yep. 2? Like... No, I, I used to play that one quite a lot. You know, that was a. Uh, I actually ended up going going to Chernobyl just to you know because I played that old one so much. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, the, the brand new one, the one with all the you know, and it got so different. I think the last Call of Duty I played was Black Ops One before this, and then all of a sudden I come in and there's attachments on your guns, and you can name your guns thing, and there's people you know doing thumbs up to me as they kill me. It's just it got so much more complicated. <laughs> Yeah, I remember, I think, and this is to show how far back I am on uh, Call of Duty, I lost patience with it back in Call of Duty 4, Modern Warfare 2, when yep. fragging was a thing, you killed someone, yep. and they automatically dropped your grenade, and they essentially got a free kill for no good reason. Yep, that, it's, uh, I remember it being called martyrdom, if memory serves. That was um, it, yeah, yeah. And everyone used to use it. Uh, that and the grenade launches that everyone would just, like, attach to their guns and boom, at the start of the round, and you yeah. just end up you know, killing four or five people. Um, but the weirdest thing, one of my best friends is like, he's, he's on, he's uh, currently unemployed at the moment. So he's been playing for sort of eight hours a day mm. and he is just phenomenally good. Like could probably go pro with this thing. So whenever I play by myself, I feel really good about myself because I'm matched with people about my skill <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, no, I'm pretty good. I'm doing well. And then he, he'll you know, invite me into his server and I just go back from being where I feel comfortable with myself to, being, you know, like a like a duck kicked between people at this point. I know exactly what you mean, because a few weeks ago, we had a lovely chap, Neil, on, who introduced me to this Star Trek Online game. Mm. And I started playing it on my own in the single player, and I felt like kind of top of my game. And then I started playing with them, who've played for literally 10 years. And they've got like the most advanced ships, and I've got this piddly little escape pod thing trailing behind them. So I know it's very humbling to play with incredible experts. Like, you know, kind of when you kind of are only casual, like. Let's see, my television is also, like, I bought my television for $50 three years ago. Um, so while these guys are playing on, you know, like these full, you know, beautiful little gaming rigs, I'm playing on my TV with like squinting like an old man sitting two <laughs> inches from my television, waiting for like, is that, a, is, is that a person or is that a car? I can't really tell at this point. Just, I imagine just firing like wildly into the air. Like. I, 
I, I do. I named all my guns Spray and Pray for a good reason. <laughs> and tell me something. Why did you go back to this game now then? Was it just because your friends were playing for the social aspect or was it something else? I think, I think there was two things that brought me to it. It was one that all my friends were playing and, and the second one, they did this amazing little feature in, in the new Call of Duty that when you kill someone, it turns their mic on for about five seconds, mm-hmm. um, which I love because there's nothing better than shooting someone and hearing this like 10-year-old kid scream down the line like, <laughs> one more! You know, it's, that's, nothing is more humbling than that. I can have a terrible day at work, but knowing that I've ruined as a six-year-old today and I'm bullying children is, is the most power I'm going to have that day. I had the reverse experience because uh, I tried the game Fortnite because I do uh, drama yeah. teaching and a lot of like kind of sort of kids on there and yeah. I would play it and I'd go ah no and you just hear all these children's laughter like you know because you're <laughs> such a new player compared to these experts with llamas and things like oh it, it just boggled the mind the other one all my a uh, bunch of a bunch of like my Russian friends. Uh, all play this shooter kind of, it's kind of like Fortnite, but what if Fortnite, you know, what if the maker of Fortnite had depression for 40 years is Escape from Tarkov. Um, it's the best <laughs> way I could ever sum it up. Now, before you and, get into this, I actually haven't heard of Escape from Tarkov before you mentioned it. So what platform is it on? Where can people find it? It's on, it's, it's weird. It's like only played by like Russians and it's only on this like independent indie game platform. You can't find it on Steam. Uh, and it's only played by like angry Russian teenagers who will all immediately swear at you in Russian. Um, but everyone is brutal. And there's like, you know, it's just, it's, it's like a survival zombie game, except all the other players are Russians and they will have Russian mindsets and they will take it out on you. If you are the English speaking person in the lobby, you will be hunted. <laughs> <laughs> so let me, so you mentioned that you are essentially like a kind of bullet soap for yep. like Call of Duty. Is it your same experience with Escape from Tarkov then? Oh, it's far worse because at least, <laughs> you know, at least some Call of Duty players take pity on me, the Russians. Um, Cause that's the thing, you know, my, my Russians are right. I, I can speak some good, good Russian, but the, after a few drinks, my Russian goes from a nice Moscow accent to a disgusting, you know, something like, you know, my awful Australian accent comes out. And it just reverberates it, you know, like, you know, those sort of uh, old movies where you hear like the person crack the twig and it just reverberates through the whole jungle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As soon as my, my awful Australian accent reverberates through the mics and the servers, you just feel every Russian just dive in and find me. I, uh, yeah, I must say, terrifying. I don't mean to be like a red flag to a bull, but I've never heard Russian spoken in an Australian accent. That's the thing of beauty. It's, it's awful. Uh, it really is. Australian accent's awful. It's a butchering of the English language as is, but butchering <laughs> Russian is just a hat on a hat at this point. And what made you seek out this game and indeed stick with it then? That's the thing. I, I had a bunch of Russian journalists who were all like, oh, we, we, you know, we, all, we have this game and you should play it and you love it. You know, it's not that hard, they said. And I was like, oh, I trust them. And then I got online <laughs> and I think they just brought me in as a, as a punching bag. It became... You know, you know the, that classic English game. You know the, where they send the the foxes out and they go hunt them. Yeah, I think yeah, I yeah. am the fox in that game. <laughs> well, at least you're the center of attention in that scenario, I suppose. <laughs> I had PTSD from it, but sure, yeah. <laughs> and tell me something then, like. Um... Because we've, as I've mentioned many times, we've had kind of people on who play games like apocalyptic games and that kind of stuff because Mm. they find the extreme levels of it relaxing compared Mm. to the lockdown kind of scenario. 
what is it that draws you into these shooter games? Do you find them relaxing or adrenaline kicking? Like what's, what's your kind of feel for them? It's actually the opposite for me. It's the least thinking you have to do all day. You know, I spend my entire time thinking, you know, about, you know, Filipino politics and then to come and just shoot an eight-year-old who's screaming down the server is kind of <laughs> oddly relaxing. Um, you know, particularly as I'm not very good at the game, but there's just something satisfying about it. Um, but I used to be a real nut for real-time strategy games and particularly the old uh, like Age of Empires and, uh, and Medieval Total War kind of games. Um, so this is me kind of getting out and doing first-person shooters for the first time and, uh, and definitely feeling the learning curve there. I know what you mean, though, because I used to play a lot of Age of Empires, Empire at War, that kind of stuff. But when you play shooters, mm. you almost don't have time to think. You just have to kind of no, go I... with whatever it throws at you like. Oh, it's, it's more reaction time more than anything. Um, I mean, the game I used to play ages ago, it's the most obscure game I've never found anyone else who plays it. I think there's like 20 downloads in the world. It was this game called Empire's Dawn of the Modern World. And it was like this Age of Empires ripoff. It was the same creators. But you go from medieval up to World War II. And I think me and my brother have collectively clocked probably 3,000 hours on it. Um, but, you know, I don't think anywhere else in the world knows it. So if any of your listeners know Empire Dawn of the Modern World, please hit me up. I will be your best friend. Because I've never they will now because we'll put that big flashy image on top of your episode. Like, Good. I hope so. It's Again, it's an obscure game from 2003 that I've collectively clocked about 3,000 hours on over the years. I know exactly what you mean, though, because I was a big PC player back in the 90s mm. and 2000s. And a lot of the games I've gone looking for simply don't exist anymore because they come from a sort of cd-rom pre-online era of gaming like mm. yeah you used to come in two cd-roms because it was that old mm. um and it took about oh i remember I, I remember playing it on windows xp if that kind of gives you a hint mm. on how old it is um yeah it was just this weirdly addictive little game that like I, I would hate to know how much of the like exact strategies my brother and me have, have learned about it over the years. And it's just such useless knowledge. I forget friends' birthdays all the time, but boy, oh boy, do I know the best strategy to use France <laughs> in World War One. I. I know. I think my big ones were tactics, which is a weird one. No yeah. one remembers about a pterodactyl that has to lift sheep with a magnet. And <laughs> chaos, yeah, can't find it anywhere. And Chaos Gate, which is a Warhammer game, which so far as I know, still hasn't made it to Steam. But it's so out of date, you can't even play it if you have the CD-ROM. I think it's actually pre-XP at this point. Like, Ooh, wow. But like you were saying, I still remember how the strategies and how to beat the first three levels glued to the back of my head. But uh, like critical moments from like my own daughter's like kind of first year, nothing. If it's yeah. not on Facebook, it's gone. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of glasses of vodka between now and then. So. Um... <laughs> Yeah, but, there's so, but, so many little, little games like like Rambo. No, not Rambo. Um, Two Rock, the dinosaur hunter game. I used to play. That I remember that. Yeah, all the time. I think I played the free demo where you get like two levels for free, like a gazillion times when my parents bought it for Christmas one year. But that was it as well. If you were like a kid in the '90s playing games, you would get a demo and you'd be happy with it forever. I think I had oh, the yeah. first level of pod racing and just kept doing that endlessly yeah. and didn't get bored. Like, oh, I played so much pod racing, but I played a a like a, a malaysia burn of it mm. so it was like bits and pieces would just disappear all the time it was just like awful like there was one map that they just i think built in terribly you just fall off the map randomly 
Um, that and Pokemon. I played so much Pokemon as a kid. Oh, was it like, are we talking like a normal version of Pokemon or like a Malaysian version of Pokemon? No, the normal version. I actually played, I was a, you know, I was the guy who took it way too seriously as a, as a primary school kid to the point where people would like, where do you catch Jigglypuff? Well, Michael will know that. And I would be like, well, I can tell you that for, for three chuppa chups. I can tell you where you're going to get that Jigglypuff, eh? It's you want to go to Mount Moon. Because, yeah, we had, in our school, we had a, a, our school backed onto, like, a park with a big field. Mm. And, like, when Pokemon was the big thing, you would have people who are experts at the card game, people who are experts at the game, and yeah. people who are experts at collecting the thing. And people just became such big Pokemon experts so quickly, mm. like. Oh, it was, I, I, my Pokemon Silver, I think I clocked about 1,000, 1,500 hours on that thing. Um, yeah, like, I just spent so much time on it. Um, never, uh, that's the thing. It's now dead because the, there's the old silver cartridges. They all had a battery in them that all dies oh. um, eventually, which is kind of annoying. But I remember just like booting up and then seeing so many bad names. Uh, you know, I think I think my right to like how young I was. I think my rival's name was Butthead or something. And I used it's to pretty every time accurate for that rival, though. To be fair, it is indeed. But it was always yeah, I always I used to giggle every time. Like Butthead challenged you to a fight. I'm like, <laughs> oh, got him, boys, got him. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah it's you know what actually i used to give all the pokemon nicknames and it scared me off getting a tattoo because yep. i'd give a pokemon a really creative nickname three days later i'd hate it yeah like naming them all uh, after the beatles or something like that you know and then you just you get super attached to certain pokemon for absolutely no reason exactly um, yeah 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 Oh, it's uh, yeah. a friend of mine seriously was on the show last week like she played went i think straight from like the game boy advance ones up to like whatever the switch ones are now sword and mm. shield and having all these new pokemon like and trying to keep her old ones at the same time was just too much emotions at once like mm. well so i think i don't know anything past i think gen 2 so for me it's like i can i can i'm pretty sure i can probably name the whole first 150 pokemon like in sequential numeric order from one to 150 couldn't tell you anything past about uh, gen 2 though like i have just no knowledge that is uncharted water new territory to me past gen 2 i'm exactly the same i had we had the pokemon red blue yellow gold and silver and then went yep. no further like it's um i have a friend of mine lisa runs an up-to-date pokemon show and talks about all these elaborate pokemon 495 and it means nothing to me. Even on the Switch, I just got what is effectively a remake of Pokemon Yellow. Like, I'm full-on very retro. But I got to ask, since you seemed like you put a lot of hours into it, did you ever finish a Pokedex? Uh, I did. I finished my Pokedex. I even went and forced my poor parents to drive hours away to go to some event where they gave you a Celebi. Um, I made, uh, I made my poor parents years ago drive like three hours away to take me to some event where they would give you a Celebi just so I could finish the Pokedex. Um, I was that kind of guy. I mean, I have, I still have to show my love for Pokemon at the time as a kid, I still have very little feeling in the bottom of my feet because I barefoot walked to the local video rental place in a 42 degree day to go get Pokemon stadium too. um, yeah, like Pokemon was my entire life for about uh, about five years there. Wow, and I got it because I remember reading about the Celebi thing in Pokemon magazine. Like the only way I got a Mew was like getting one of those like things that hacks the Game Boy cartridge, yeah. which I still have somewhere. 
But like, yeah, and like you'd never get that nowadays. Nowadays, Celebi with like a digital download or something like that. They made you work mm. really hard for games back in the 90s and 2000s. Like, Oh, yeah, I had to go all the way down to this shopping mall and stand in queue for a bit and then answer some questions. And then you hand your cartridge over to a, like a, a guy in a, a very tight shirt standing next to a guy in a very hot Pikachu suit who's probably sweating to death in the Australian heat. Um, and he would hand you back, like, here you go, kid. And then you'd have a celebrate. <laughs> it was it's like it's saying it out loud now makes absolutely no sense. In yeah. modern- Enjoy your legendary Pokemon vegetable. Uh, off you go, off you. You got your bean sprout. Now go, go play the games. <laughs> All right, we've got uh, two or three minutes left on the clock. So I believe there was uh, one more game you really wanted to talk about. Oh, I mean, the the other game I play quite often with friends and and and, uh, and probably am a terrible person for it is, is Super Smash Brothers. Excellent. And, uh, I used to play the N64 all the time uh, and then I upgraded to the Wii and my strategy did not change. I am, you know, that really annoying friend you have who plays Kirby, who just goes up and up and up and up and then smashes back down as a stone. Um, that was me. That is my only strategy. I stand by it and I am the king of the B down until I meet a player who plays Pikachu, who does the B down as well. And Zach's Yeah, me Pikachu has a lot of really fast tackle moves, uh, doesn't he or she? It, yeah, but that's the Pikachu's got fast move, but they've also got, it's got this like you can be down and it does this lightning bolt that comes from above. So if I'm a Kirby floating above him, he'll wait, do it, and the lightning bolt will hit me before I hit him. Um, so whoever played Pikachu would always just spend his time targeting me, uh, and I'd spend the rest of my time just floating around like a pink ball of death. Uh, I've got to say, the last time I played um, Super Smash Bros. was actually at a college event with like four or five people. And there was just so many flashing lights and stimulus that I couldn't even tell what I was doing until I saw the little player one thing just flash off into the distance somewhere yep. miles away. Is that still your experience of it? Some Sometimes, but um, the, a lot of bars actually do it here. So a lot of, uh, like when I was touring in bands and stuff a lot of like a lot of the punk venues in, in australia will have like a, a nintendo or a wii or something set up in the venue so quite often you're like sitting at the back of a, a crowded dingy you know dive bar and you're playing uh super smash brothers against just randoms you meet in the bar so it's it's a bit more prevalent here um than a lot i of can only imagine like alcohol plus wii motion controls creating some wonderful nights and some horrible accidents at the same time well, of course. I, th- I, th- I think the best one I ever saw was I was playing Mario Kart with some guy and he pulled his, his cart over to the side of the road, went and got a drink, came back and then was like indicating to come back onto the road. So we kind of had a look around. I was like, man, that is some very safe driving for Mario Kart. <laughs> All right. Well then, Michael, we are nearly out of time. So is there anything you would like to say on the air before we wrap? No, just it's been an absolute pleasure to be here, and uh, thanks so much for having me. No worries, and uh, you're welcome back on the show anytime you like. Would you mind just plugging your own show just one more time before we stop? So, uh, if you want to hear some, you know, very different geopolitics, so very deep dives with Harvard, Oxford, Cambridge, the White House, and the CIA talking about uh, uh, what's going on in the world, you know, big crash courses on everything you'll need to know about, you know, Venezuela or Nagorno-Karabakh or the Philippines. You can check us out on the red line. Uh, we're on Apple, Spotify, uh, you know, all the usual podcast places and online and YouTube as well. So 
the Red Line podcast, uh, and you can listen to me be, you know, act smart for about an hour and a half. Excellent. All right, then we'll call time on that episode. Thank you so much, Michael Hilliard. And uh, this has been The Game Corner. We'll be back the same time next Friday. Thank you for joining us. Goodbye. Listening to a Nerd to Know Media production.